time. It's time. Time for the hard-hitting analysis you won't find anywhere else. Here's former Super Bowl winning scout Brian Broaddus and Bobby Belt. 10-5 victory! Cowboys win! This is Love of the Star. Star. Welcome to the Love of the Star podcast. I am Bobby Belt, Dallas Cowboys insider for 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, your radio flagship home of the Dallas Cowboys. Joined, as always, by former Super Bowl winning NFL scout Brian Broaddus. He is now the co-host of the G-Bag Nation, 2 to 7 p.m. Central, Monday through Friday on 105.3 The Fan. He is also the pre- and post-game co-host on the Dallas Cowboys radio network. And he's alive. He's alive and kicking after a, a heart procedure that a lot of people were wondering about. Brian, how how to come out? Well, thank you, Robert. Appreciate that. Is did I say the right word here? Catheterization? Is that right? Cath- Catheterization? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like okay, if you could see, and I don't know if people could see, they went. Oh, I can my, see it. They went through my wrist. They went through mm-hmm. my wrist to get through my heart, and uh, so yeah, they 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 did some. Uh, they did a procedure. You're actually awake while this thing is going on, which is. Which Don't is like, like crazy in itself. I was kind of out of the corner of my eye. I was watching the doctor go through my vein and then get to my heart, and then and then you could kind of see him like go through all the, the various parts. They're looking for blockage and things like that. And if you have blockage, then they uh, either put in a stent or they put a balloon in there. And I needed neither one, so I felt uh, very blessed, very fortunate. Uh, you know, that uh, that I didn't have to, to do that. But it puts you to the point, though, Bobby, when you get to a certain age, like me being 59 now and they're doing heart work on you and stuff, like maybe I need to lay off the brisket sandwiches and the pizza <laughs> and things like that. So i uh, going to try and take better care of myself. And, uh, and my son, Bennett, encouraged me. He's like, Dad, I need you around. So those are the kinds of things that you kind of you play on. And I, I really do appreciate all the – the very talented men and women out there, the doctors, the nurses and stuff that, that do this and, and can put us all back together or check on us. And and uh, it is a great relief to know that uh, that I didn't have any blockage, which I was really, really scared about. Well, it is great news. We're all very happy. And thank you. What you guys have to know thank is you. that it would take a heart procedure to keep Brian brought us away from a mini camp practice like <laughs> happened on Tuesday. Uh, I think that's and and you know what it was only enough to keep him away for a day because he's up there at the star in Frisco on Wednesday with me and uh, Zach Wolchuk our other teammate from 105 through the fan and we were out at Cowboys uh, minicamp practices mandatory minicamp so uh, there is 100% participation this time around a couple players were missing from OTAs I think they were actually in the building we just didn't see them at all yeah uh, you were seeing everybody this time around Trayvon Diggs was out of practice um demarcus lawrence was not practicing today uh he'll be ready for training camp he told a couple of reporters standing by the locker uh that he had a scope on his knee this offseason and that uh he was still recovering from that um but a couple different uh headlines coming out of uh minicamp this week brian first off uh before you get to practice takeaways probably the biggest headline this week is that after spending otas at left tackle, after Mike Solari told us Tyler Smith was a left tackle, he comes into minicamp this week and he is playing left guard. And the Cowboys are talking about this as it's just keeping him sharp and having him work both. Um, I, I still think Tyler Smith's future is at left tackle, but it is interesting to note, Brian, when they give you those little rosters out at uh, Cowboys practice, uh, the only player who has a slash and double positions next to his name is Tyler Smith. He is listed as a guard tackle. 
or a tackle guard, one of them. Um, but you you look at that list, and they seem pretty committed to the flexibility of Tyler Smith. So he was inside at left guard. Tyron Smith was at left tackle. Matt Willett's go at right tackle. Uh, practice today, Tyron Smith sat out. The left tackle was Chumi Doga for most of the day, who had taken all his reps at guard, I believe, during OTAs. Uh, but, Brian, your thoughts on just some of the shuffling we're seeing along the offensive line here through these first couple uh, offseason practices? Yeah, you know, anytime that they tell you position flex, I just – at one time I really wanted to buy it. I really wanted to embrace it. And But the more I've gotten uh, going through this, I always felt like that if you had position flex, you weren't really – great at one position you were they were always looking for a spot but this is you know it's funny because the Cowboys they've always talked about you know with the offensive line continuity and they've always it was fantasy football when you move guys around and yeah you know and then you start to suffer with some injuries and the next thing you know you're having to uh you know you're having to make these adjustments but it's a full-on embrace now with this offensive line and and oh well hey we've got this left tackle that can play right guard and we've got this right guard that can play left tackle and we've got this you know the center that can play tack you know it's just it's they they have embraced the the position flex and it always reminds me of of a guy you know like they they overpaid for a guy that had position flex Tyron Crawford he had position flex he was a he was a tackle. He was an end. You know, he got banged up. They tried to play him at spots, and oh no, he's a tackle. Rod Marinelli thinks he could be a great three technique, and they paid for that. And you know, so ever since then, I've just kind of been very leery of, of is that the right word? I hope I use yeah. there that you know that when you start to talk about this position flex stuff, that you know it's but this time of year you can do this. You know, OTAs, mini camps. You can you could you could take looks at guys at different spots and see if you can actually have a fit. You know, we've seen Dan Quinn do it with some of his his defenders. So the offensive line, yeah, it's it's a long way now from when they used to tell us about continuity and you think this is fantasy football. They are completely embracing that for sure. So uh, I think that that's definitely they're just they're in an exploration phase right now. They're trying to figure out as many combinations as they can and do as much as they can without Terrence Steele out there, who Mike McCarthy told us this week. They are not sure if he'll be ready to go uh, at the start of training camp. He may be a little behind. So that'll be something worth monitoring. Uh, But in terms of day two of minicamp practices, man, these almost felt a almost felt more uneventful than even the OTA practices did. It, It felt like there was less to to consume and less to see the normal. But one thing did stand out. I know when I was standing out there watching, it was the thing that jumped off the the field to me. And it was something that I was texting you and Zach Wolchuk about. And then when I got out of practice, I saw three or four or five other people talking about the same thing. So I think it stood out to everybody. And that is Brandon Cooks is freaking fast. Yeah. Is blowing by people on these vertical routes in these practices. And that is Every single bit of 4-3. I've always said that speed is one of the things that when you have elite speed, that really stands out uh, when you're watching a practice if somebody has that. Because these NFL athletes, everybody's fast. Everybody's a freak. So when you are out there running by everybody, it's like, whoa, what, what's what's going on here? 
and that's Brandon Cooks. I, I'm really excited about him, and also at the same time, and we'll get into maybe a little bit, bit of this next segment, also at the same time a little little bummed out that we're going to waste that vertical threat on a uh, slant flats uh, West Coast timing everything underneath offense. Well, we, we've, we've, we've kind of heard it's a combination of this offense was going to be a little bit of a combination of what they had in previous times, but with some new additions with the West Coast stuff. So, yeah. you know, what did Dak call it? Uh, Texas Coast. Texas today. Coast. So, yeah, I just, you know, I, I think there's, I think that where we'll see difference, Bobby, I really, really believe this. I think you'll see the slants and the flats and things like that. But where I think that the difference will be, I think they're going to leave the passing game the same. I think they're going to leave the routes the same. Where I think they're going to be different is how they run the football. And I, I believe that in their off-season study, when they got together as coaches, they had to figure out what the disconnect was for their ability to run the football in the second half of the season. And I think there's some things in the passing game they absolutely love that Dak can do and Dak is comfortable with. You know, we talk about, we make jokes about the option routes and things like that, but I think there's some, there's some things that they are going to keep in this passing game where, like I say, the difference will be in the running game. And so, uh, you know, if, if taking uh, Brandon Cooks on a vertical route because they know he can run by any corners that he plays against and they don't try that, then that's, that's scheme malpractice right there. And I don't think they want to commit scheme malpractice. I think they want to find ways. The great example, all they have to do is look across the line of scrimmage and see what taking advantage of your players can do on defense. That, that, yeah. that, if you're an offensive coach, all you have to do is look at what Dan Quinn and those defensive coaches do with their personnel, and it, and it should be as the blinking light that you should try and do some similar things with your offensive players. And if you're trying to make Brandon Cooks run inside routes and slants and things like that at his size, and that would be, again, that's malpractice. A little bit of a scary moment uh, when CeeDee Lamb came up limping uh, after a catch during 7-on-7. Seven seven. Now, he it was his left leg. He kind of went over to the sideline, and then I saw him kind of cross over his leg, yeah. stretch, and Cramps. Jim was standing there. It looked like cramps to me. Jim yeah. Moore walked over there and didn't even – that's the the Cowboys trainer – didn't even bother working on him. Just sat there talking yeah. to CD and watching him. That, to me, says cramps if he's just trusting CD to stretch it out on his own. He's sitting there watching. Yeah. But CD, uh, I, I, I reached out. out. There. It's yeah. cramps. I reached out to the uh, – I'm sorry, Bobby. I'm running all over there. No, you're good. I reached out to uh, a couple of guys I know on the medical staff just to make sure, and they were – they were adamant. I said, "Hey, eighty-eight, good." And the answer back was, "88's fine." So yeah. I think we're just dealing with. I think with what we're dealing with right now is just cramps, Bobby. Yeah. And and he did. Well, he didn't go right back out there. He did get in, and I know I've seen some conflicting reports on this, but he did go back out there. I, I saw him get back in a couple reps in seven on seven. So he went right back out there and ran. And when he was leaving, he was 
uh, joking around. Dak Prescott was doing his media availability and he said something like, we love Dak Prescott and like was, you know, joking as he was walking out. So he seemed fine. Uh, so I know there are going to be some questions about CeeDee Lamb, but he he looks to be okay. Anything else stand out to you while you were practice today? Any uh, Anything that people were, you know, way guys were being used or some of the things you saw from different players? Yeah, you know, um, I wrote a couple down, Bobby, because, again, I mean, because I have the radio show, I only really get to watch an hour of practice. So what I try to do in that period where they're working on, like, scheme and down and distance breakdowns and things I was just trying to kind of chart some things and I noticed in a situation when they were doing their team stuff that on uh on a third and fourth situation they specifically sent Deuce Vaughn into the game you know they 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 like you, you, they're getting ready. The play's over. It's you know, and you hear the down and distance, third and four, third and four. You hear the you know say that, and then you immediately see Deuce Vaughn run onto the field and then get into the huddle. He only ran like a little, like a little check check route, little spot route, you know, and then actually got corrected afterwards because he didn't get deep enough, you know, on the routes. His base for it wasn't very good and. They were kind of getting on him, and he needed to get a little further and get his base a little bit better. I also noticed when they went fourth and three, and again, this is no, uh, this is no Pollard playing. So if they get in a situation where it's fourth and three, and Ronald Jones now gets sent onto the field, and then they run a, you know, they run a flood route to the right, and you know, to get the uh, to get the first down out of the slot, you know, going to the right, Dak kind of moves the pocket, and they throw the ball, uh, kind of a sprint right option route would would I, what I would call it but they get the first down that way so I was just trying to kind of keep an eye on uh what they were doing Diggs playing at the right corner uh you know watching him do that watching Gilmore play the left corner I was trying to kind of get a gauge of of how much uh Deron Bland was playing on the outside as opposed to the inside it looked like that he was doing a, a, a lot of that uh, I he was even uh, looking a little bit at, at some of the blitzing that they were doing. And then, you know, uh, the couple reps that uh, Dante Fowler was in that they blitzed, he call it fire zone, where you drop the defender and blitz a guy and you try and cover for the blitzing defender. And so that was Dante Fowler a couple different times dropped in coverage there. So, uh, just kind of trying to kind of pick up little pieces here and there. Um, it looked like that Neville Gallimore got some work uh, with Oso Diggy Zua at the one and the three. I saw uh, Cox getting some work with the ones also, also on defense uh, there. So, you know, they're trying to get some of these guys uh, involved in the action. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just as you list off some of those different things there, one of the things that I noticed today, and I, I know people have used the term springy, uh, talking about Michael Gallup. I'll be completely honest. I've not seen springy yet. Um, it's just because, I mean, I don't think we've had the opportunity to see him really go up, go vertical, and show some right. of that. But what I will say is I see clean movement from him. Like, I was watching him run stuff in seven-on-seven seven today, and he just looks to be moving more confidently, moving more fluidly, that, I think, is a really positive sign. And I think you're seeing so far a couple of good practices. Now, it's not the be-all, end-all, because we saw good practices from him early in training camp last year. But I think you're seeing some positive stuff from Jalen Tolbert. And, uh, you know, Dak Prescott talked about him today and said, you know, he's he's worked on a lot of stuff. And, and you can tell he feels more comfortable than he did last year. 
during these OTAs and, and this mini camp practice, have you have they stood out to you at all, uh, Gallup and Tolbert, or, or have you taken notice at all of how they're looking? Yeah, it, you know, a lot of it, Bobby, is like I say, that period I get to watch is there's no competition for the ball. The guys sure. are running routes, and then Dak might hold the ball a tick or two longer, and then he throws the ball to you know, somebody breaking inside, but there's no real competition there. I'd say the advantage that Tolbert has now is this time last year, he wasn't practicing at all. So the OTAs, the mini camps, you know, I feel like that he was getting, uh, he was losing those reps. And then they tried to throw him into the deep end of the pool last year at training camp. And I don't think he really grasped what he needed to do assignment wise, you know. And when he, you know, this year he is getting more work, this year he is feeling more comfortable. Uh, this year he's practicing. Uh, he had the opportunity to go into the Dak yard and you know work with Dak a little bit and get some uh, some reps there and have an understanding of route combinations. And you know if this if this thing is a completely different offense, which again I said earlier I don't think it is. You know yeah. these receivers. It doesn't look like there's guys that are out there busting right now and things like that. But I think we're just at the very very the infancy of you know, what we're going to see. But it's good to see, you know, Gallup out there. This is an important year for him. It really, really is. Yeah. They can't afford him to have the type of season where his numbers were similar to Noah Brown's. I mean, you look at, you know, you look at Gallup last year and, you know, second receiver, his numbers were very similar to what Noah Brown's were. And, yeah, Noah Brown won you the Cincinnati game. We've documented that a bunch. But if if his numbers, if 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 Michael Gallup's numbers are comparable to the fourth or fifth receiver on this roster, there's going to be some things, some decisions that are going to have to be made going forward. Yeah, and I think honestly, I think you could make a pretty strong case that for the entirety of the season or the entire season that they were available, Noah Brown may have been a better player last year than Michael Gallup. Michael Gallup just was not very good last not year. Not the same guy. And, and, and you know, they, they, he worked extremely hard with him and Britt Brown to try and come back. I don't think the confidence was very good, uh, you know, especially at the beginning. But there were a lot of games where Michael Gallup had a zero for yards next to his name. Far, yeah. far more than what that football team needed. Yeah, you you can't have him doing that, especially, you know, after the financial investment they made him – one more thing before we uh, transition over to some of the stuff that was said uh, in the media on Wednesday. Uh, I, I know we kind of touched on this last week, but any concern that the health limitations that have kept Luke Schoonmaker out of some of these practices could present a similar dilemma to the one you ran into last year with Tolbert? That's a good question because I actually was looking for him today and he was practicing. He was down on the JV field. Uh, you know, he wasn't in a boot and all that. So at least he was out there working. Uh, Linda Wells had him in the drills and things. Yeah, I, I, my hope he is... Was, he was out of seven on seven, by the way. He was in the... Yeah, stuff, yeah. Just the early, the early practice that I saw. The early practice yeah, yeah, that I yeah, saw. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's why I was just letting you know. Just so you know, seven on seven, he did sit out. He did jugs machine. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I hope not. Man, I, I just... I hope not. I, I just... I don't feel like that, you know, that it's, you know, they, they need him. I mean, I, I've, I've, I'm the guy I think that's kind of been the champion for him 
being out there, being a starter, being a guy that when they get in 12 personnel, he's on the field, he stays on yeah. the field because he can receive the ball. And, you know, I think he is a little bit of an underrated player when it comes to catching the football. So if, if he, if, if this, uh, if this plantar fasciitis, if that turns into something long term that that limits the amount of work he gets, boy, that's that's going to be a, a big big blow to this uh, to this offense, in my opinion. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Stars an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. All right, guys, uh, I got to tell you really quick uh, before we go on to anything else about our wonderful partner here at Love the Star. It is Boomer Jacks. I've, I've been telling you guys about them for several weeks now. Brian and I both have. Uh, we love seeing you guys send us those photos on social media of you guys hanging out out there, uh, enjoying a cold beer, enjoying some wings or a burger or whatever else. Uh, it warms our heart, and I know it warms Boomer Jack's heart. Uh, we're glad that you guys are enjoying it as much as we do. I keep telling you guys specifically about Tuesdays and Wednesdays because Tuesdays are half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings, but they've got great deals the rest of the week as well. Drink special starting at $3, $15 buckets of beer, and it is the coldest beer anywhere around. And it, it's just the perfect spot for whatever you're looking for. If you're looking for, you know, a happy hour spot for you and your coworkers. Boomer Jacks is perfect for that. If you're looking for a nice dinner spot for the family, somewhere to unwind, it's a great spot too. My kids love the tableside s'mores that they bring out there. If you're looking for somewhere to watch the game, Boomer Jacks, man, wall-to-wall TVs. And I mean that literally. The TVs fill up the walls at Boomer Jacks. You are going to be so glad you went there. There are 17 DFW locations. You can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That is boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, so uh, Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy both spoke to the media on Wednesday, and Mike McCarthy had some interesting things to say. Todd Archer had asked him, uh, Todd Archer from ESPN had asked him, you know, uh, what is it that you've learned about Dak this offseason? And and it turned into what initially just started out as like kind of generic statements and stuff he had acknowledged he already knew about Dak. Like, well, you can't ever give him too much. He really attacks it head on, that kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, turn into some, some interesting comments about his vision of what he wants Dak's role or, or hand or influence to be in the offense. Uh, Mike McCarthy had noted he said that he himself did not want to be thought of as any sort of a, a quarterback guru. That wasn't anything he was striving for, or an offensive guru, that what he wants is smart, Hall of Fame caliber type of quarterbacks, and he thinks the best way to do that is to get the quarterback to embrace it and own the offense was the phrase he used. He wanted them to own it uh, and make it their own. And he even used this um, analogy of uh, – or, or used this in, instance of they were in a team meeting recently and – they have a pass play in their plan called Duquesne. Uh, and that's the way that it's pronounced as Duquesne. But Mike McCarthy said that they call it Duquesne. Like they'd always called it that, even though it wasn't pronounced that way. It would refer to it as Duquesne in play calls or Dukes. So he said Dak had brought that up in a team meeting. 
said, you know, well, what are we going to call it? And McCarthy drew the, the, you know, pointed out the example of Dak saying that and then him saying, look, you are, you're in charge here. You tell me what we're calling it. Like, this is your, this is going to be your offense. You're leading that huddle. So, so what do you, and Dak said, well, I'm calling it Duquesne. And he's like, all right, that's fine. Then when I say Duquesne or Dukes, you, you know what I'm saying, but you go in there and you call it in the huddle as Duquesne, or you call it like, this is, you're in command. You are the general. And Dak later was asked at, at media about how much freedom he has to, to change things at the line of scrimmage and control things himself. And he said, complete freedom. And he said, more than complete freedom. He said, you know, actively encouraged a lot of times to do something different. That if I go up there and I see something and I say, this isn't right, I'm not just going to run us into that. I, I need to, to be equipped to be able to get us out of there. Um, and, and just so some interesting things about ownership and, and, and what this process will look like. How much of this do you think we're going to look at over the course of the season and say, ah, there's Mike McCarthy's imprint, or this is what Mike McCarthy's doing? Or do you think it's it's like McCarthy's basically saying that, look, I'm giving him a shell, and what it sounded like today was Dak is controlling the offense. Dak is going to do whatever we're going to do. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, – it's you – know, Dak's going into what, to our – his eighth, eighth year, year now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, usually you get to a point in time where – you want to give the quarterback the opportunity to do what he feels is necessary for the game plan to work, you know, and, uh, you know, every week it's, you know, Dak is going to have input on what they do offensively. Dak is going to have input, uh, what they do, uh, you know, with the game plan. Dak is going to have influence with how it's executed on, you know, game day. So, you know, I, I, I understand, you know, Mike, he, he had a quarterback like that in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers had a lot of ability, had a lot of leeway to do what he needed to do. You know, but if if it turns into situations where, you know, I, I, I'm i I'm okay with that. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I've gotten in trouble before. I've tried to explain myself several times about how aggressive Dak can be, you know, and that's and that's great. I mean, I love – I don't have a problem with an aggressive quarterback, you know. But, you know, is McCarthy – is, you know, is McCarthy – you know, why do you make the change in an offensive coordinator, Yeah, you know, if you're going to let Dak just be what he wants to be? And that's – I'm not blaming Dak. I'm not trying to be negative with Dak. Please don't take this the wrong way. I'm just saying, I mean, that – to me, you know, the Kellen Moore situation and all that, the way it is, the way it went down, you know, McCarthy clearly said, hey, there's some things we have to do differently here. But he's also, you know, going to continue to give Dak that leeway. And, you know, if I thought he was taking over the play calling and all that, he's going to be a little bit more control on, you know, on how the game is going to go. But if he's willing to give Dak, you know, that's fine. Dak's a veteran quarterback. Dak's been through the wars. Dak's done a great job in a lot of these games, you know, getting him in the right play, getting him out of bad situations and stuff like that. It's just surprising to me that McCarthy would want to take over the play calling, but then, you know, still have give Dak a bunch of leeway to do whatever he wants to do. Or did I read that the right way? Did I answer? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I think that that's uh, a, I I think that's essentially what was being said. Um, And some of that may be rhetoric. Um, you know, maybe the cynic 
would suggest, well, look, you know, Mike McCarthy doesn't have a scapegoat this year. So if the offense doesn't uh, go right, maybe he's laying the groundwork early to say, well, you know, it was really Dak's offense, not uh, not my offense. But uh, I, I think what's more likely is they are equipping him to do what he wants to. Look, I think that being completely direct and honest about this offseason, I don't think Dak Prescott was the biggest fan of changes that were made this offseason. I just I don't, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And, and, and I, and I, th- and I think an olive branch that probably has to be involved there is we're not going to micromanage you so much. Like, like we're, we're still going to empower you to do what you feel is right. Um, because that'd probably be really difficult. If you moved on from guys that he really liked, he, he really liked Kellen Moore. Doug Nussmeyer was something that I, I think that was a move that didn't make your quarterback very happy then you moved on from him. And I don't think he's the type that would ever say it like that publicly, but I think flat out, he was probably pissed off that they did that. And I think that something that extends to him and, and is something that meets him a little ways like, Hey, I'm coming in here. I'm trying to do this and this, but I still want to, I still want you. I just want to give you the tools to do what you think is best and what you think you can do. And I just think that's kind of where they're meeting in the middle. But I thought it was a fascinating thing that they were talking about today. And one other line that I thought was really interesting, because you said clearly there were things Mike McCarthy wanted to change from Kellen Moore. Maybe it was just a, in a long two minute answer, he just said something a little flippant and he didn't mean it this way. But I did think it was interesting. The very end of one of his answers, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but it was something to the effect of Mike McCarthy said, and now we're finally going to be able to run the offense that we wanted to run. And I think that's an indication that the last three years, and even the last two, when they've had a lot of success, they clearly were not running the offense Mike McCarthy wanted to run. Yeah, and that, again, that's I, I'm I just believe that I think there's going to be a lot of the passing game is going to be very similar. I think there are going to be some major changes in how they run the football. That's where I think. And then if the running leads to the passing, you know, there's some things that that Dak is totally comfortable with. I mean, this offense had some success throwing the football. It really yeah. did. If you broke it down, the failures they had were running the ball in the second half of the year. And you could talk about Zeke. You could talk about, you know, what happened with Steele. You know, you, there's a lot of things you can point to, but it's happened two years in a row. You know, it's happened two years in a row. So I'm, I'm, I think there's, you talk about the olive branch. I, I, I agree with you. I think there's, I think there's some absolute, uh, you know, Dak is like, well, why do we do this and why do we do that? You know, and and rightfully so. I mean, the guy had some success in a lot of what they were doing scheme wise, you know. But Mike McCarthy, uh, you know, he he made this is a to me, this is a personal decision. But hell, it's probably a personal decision for Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore probably was looking to get the hell out of here too. You know, maybe he had enough of Mike McCarthy. You know, maybe yeah. he had enough of Mike McCarthy, you know, saying, well, why are you doing this and why are you doing that? You know, and then Mike McCarthy saying, well, I'm the damn head coach, you know. So, hey, finally, the offense. See, that that's a little disturbing to me because I if I'm Mike McCarthy, offensive coach, offensive minded coach, I, if I see something I don't like, I am stepping in there and telling Kellen Moore, damn it, we're not doing that anymore. You know, you need to think about it this way. And not this way, you know. 
instead of just letting things go on until the end of the year. And it's like, listen, I don't like you. You don't like me. Let's part ways. Fine. (laughs) You know, Kellen Moore got a job like minutes after he got out the door here. You don't think he was on the phone during the season working on ideas or places to potentially land? You know, he was probably getting the vibes of him and McCarthy were done. So, I don't know, man. I just, I hope, and I keep saying this too, and I'm sorry, folks, I'm a broken record when it comes to this, but they've changed a lot of offensive coaches. They've changed a lot of them. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe this year it all comes together offensively and they, you know, and they get over the hump and some of their, some of the faults that they've had. But if it doesn't, and then, you know, well, what's going to happen? Well, maybe this offense would be good two years from now or three years from now. Hell, we've seen the defense get better every single year. You know, that continuity with it. You know, they changed a lot of coaches. You know, this thing might only have one year to get better. In reality, if they just let it go two years or three years, it might be even better. But this head coach might not have that opportunity. You are listening to the Love of the Star podcast. The Love of the Star is an Odyssey podcast. You can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys. Uh, I got to tell you really quick uh, before we go on to anything else about our wonderful partner here at Love of the Star. It is Boomer Jacks. I've, I've been telling you guys about them for several weeks now. Brian and I both have. Uh, we love seeing you guys send us those photos on social media yeah. of you guys hanging out out there, uh, enjoying a cold beer, enjoying some wings or a burger or whatever else. Uh, it warms our heart, and I know it warms Boomer Jack's heart. Uh, we're glad that you guys are enjoying it as much as we do. I keep telling you guys specifically about Tuesdays and Wednesdays because Tuesdays are half-price bone-in wings. Wednesdays are half-price boneless wings, but they've got great deals the rest of the week as well. Drink special starting at $3, $15 buckets of beer, and it is the coldest beer anywhere around, and it, it's just the perfect spot for whatever you're looking for. If you're looking for, you know, a happy hour spot for you and your coworkers. Boomer Jacks is perfect for that. If you're looking for a nice dinner spot for the family, somewhere to unwind, it's a great spot too. My kids love the tableside s'mores that they bring out there. If you're looking for somewhere to watch the game, Boomer Jacks, man, wall-to-wall TVs. And I mean that literally. The TVs fill up the walls at Boomer Jacks. You are going to be so glad you went there. There are 17 DFW locations. You can find yours by going to boomerjacks.com. That is boomerjacks.com. All right, Brian, it is now time for our Dean Julia Love of the Star mailbag. It's where we turn things over uh, to our dear, sweet listeners. Uh, Let them uh, shift things around a little bit, uh, point things in the direction that they want to, get some of their questions answered. Uh, First off, I will say this week, Brian, on the mailbag, a lot of people uh, making DNA jokes and talking about how, uh, you know, uh, it's just not in their DNA to ask questions this week. They, they, They can't do it. Uh, so uh, you've welcomed the flood of DNA jokes after you said you never want to say say DNA again. Uh, first question here from Terrence Watson. Outside of Neville Gallimore, uh, who can you see as a surprise cut or trade on this roster? And by the way, I think Gallimore's a great name. Gallimore is, if he's on the 53-man roster, I, I, I'm trying to remember what the exact uh, playing time uh, marker he hit over his first few years was, um, but he is now eligible for a specific bonus that exists within the CBA that if he is on the roster, the 53-man roster on the first week of the season, he is due an extra million-dollar bonus. So there is definitely some pressure, I think, for him to perform because the team's going to say, not only do we need to see it from you, but if you want to get this bonus, we're going to have to pay extra 
than we were originally planning to have you here. You need to step up. So I do think Gallimore is an interesting name to watch and one, uh, a guy who I think has come into this offseason program in a lot better shape than he did last year. But Brian, is there anybody who stands out? I know we talk a lot about Jabril Cox could be somebody that uh, could be in jeopardy in certain situations or maybe Kelvin Joseph. But is there anybody else maybe we're not thinking about so much or, or somebody you think really needs to step up and be at risk? Yeah, Bobby, uh, we had this discussion on the GBAG Nation today on 105.3 The Fan, and we're taping here on, what, Wednesday night, right? Mm -hmm. Is that what we're doing? Yep. Uh, so, yeah, this is the discussion we had on the GBAG Nation, and it had to do with the running backs. And if the running backs, if the group doesn't improve behind Pollard, you know, say that with Davis – and I think Davis is going to get a fresh start here with the new coaching staff and all that. I absolutely think, you know, with the well, the new offensive coaches, the running back coach, and you know, I think he's going to get a fresh start with the play caller and all that. Yeah, uh, you know, so we'll see how that plays out for him. We believe, and we and I, we we're all talking as a group that if the Cowboys are going to make a move in that at running, if they were potentially saw what they, they didn't see what they wanted at running back that maybe they take surplus offensive linemen or defensive linemen and use that as a trade for possibly a young running back. So I would keep an eye on something like that. Again, not talking to anybody in the organization about this, but to me, look at all the young linemen they have. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to keep all those guys. But if they, if they make a deal to get help at running back, and it's because they didn't feel like in three preseason games and all those training camp practices that there's somebody suitable behind uh, behind Pollard. And, you know, I think Davis can play. I mean, I really, really do. But I just am curious if they don't feel like that him or Jones or, I mean, you know, you got Deuce Vaughn, but do you need another? Do they need a veteran, another veteran back to help? That's where I think that they would use a surplus of one of these offensive linemen or one of these defensive linemen, and it might even use one of these defensive backs might be a possibility as well. Question here from Ryan, who, and it's sort of similar probably along the, uh, the same type of question we just asked, who is the highest drafted Cowboy from the rookie class you could see realistically being a training camp cut? They don't always uh, carry all of their draft picks uh, through to the roster. Usually a seventh or a sixth round guy will get cut. Uh, in the very rare instance, you'll get a, a Skylar Green out yeah. there, Ryan, who gets cut as a fourth round pick. But uh, I don't know. When you look at the list, here's I'll run out a list for you real quick, Brian, just as a refresher. First round, Mozzie Smith. Second, Luke Schoonmaker. Third, DeMarvian Overshone. Fourth, Junior Fajoko. Fifth, Austin Richards. Two sixth-rounders, Eric Scott and Deuce Vaughn, and seventh-rounder, Jalen Brooks. A quick look at that. I would lean towards the highest-drafted one that could potentially be cut would be Eric Scott, uh, who was picked 178 out of Southern Miss. Um, and that's just if the defensive backs really step up and some of these veterans that they have there. Um, but, I mean, Deuce Vaughn and Jalen Brooks, they could be guys that that get squeezed out of the roster. I don't necessarily think it's likely, but they, they could absolutely be guys that are in contention there. But for me, Eric Scott would be – the, the one who I think most recently could, I think awesome Richards and above, you're looking at guys who are making this team. Yeah, I think I think that to me, when you look at uh, Scott got some work with the varsity yesterday, right? Being yesterday, yep. being uh, Tuesday. Yep. And then he was back, 
and he and he, was he was he? I thought he was working down on the JV. He got it. He got he got a couple, and then he got first team reps in seven on seven. Brandon Cooks actually, that's who he torched twice. Was Eric? Okay, <laughs> okay. So is that that's why you're saying that maybe? Hey, there's there's uh there's no shame of getting torched by Cooks the way. Well, he, no, it's, it's, it's not even yeah. necessarily because he got torched. It's just because if you look at let's say Kelvin Joseph steps up like he needs to, you've got. What Jordan. if they play Kelvin Joseph at safety though? Yeah. See, they've yeah. got they've Good. got a couple of guys. They've got a couple of guys here that I kind of think about. You know that they play that dual role of of you know uh, Mukwamu was you know you know how many guys how many guys are they going to have that are going to be dual safety corner type guys Mukwamu Joseph I mean how many guys like that do you, do you carry you know yeah so I, I I could see I could see what you know with what uh you know with what you're talking about with Scott. You know the fact that they the fact that they gave up a, a next year's selection for True. him. Yeah. They see something in this guy, so they are going to give him every opportunity to fail. I, I think if it was me, that the guy that likely would be released would be would be Brooks, just because it's the last. But they're going to protect their draft here. You know, I, I think that that it's just a position that's going to be hard for a rookie. To make this team as a wide receiver, you know, unless he shows up great on special teams and stuff like that, I that that would be. I think everybody else. What about Fahoko? You know, I mean, they've got a lot of, you know, those. You know, is do they have enough depth? I mean, like I say, the question. I was on uh, Cowboys Break today, and we were talking about the depth behind Osa. You yeah. know, is there enough depth behind Osa uh, to be? You know, is it Golston? You know, is it Gallimore? Is it you know, I I could see them. I could see them moving on from Gallimore if I if they if they felt like Fahoko was a was just as good, right? Absolutely. And, and, and Fahoko's the guy who, when he's been out here at these practices, he We're is talking about Junior Fahoko, the defensive yes, tackle. Junior, junior yeah. Fahoko. Which, by the way, I was talking to Simi Fahoko in the uh, locker room today. Yeah. And I found out Simi is Simi Fahoko Junior. So technically, we do have two junior Fajokos in the locker room. Oh, there you go. Semi. But you go. Uh, when you look at junior Fajoko and, and watch him in some of these practices, they have put him hand in the ground edge rushing. They've yeah. stood him up and rushed. Yeah. Uh, they stood him up and rushed him up the A gap, and they've had him play three technique. They're having him do a lot of different things. And when you talk to people around the team, I think you're hearing there's a lot of excitement from Dan Quinn specifically about him. I think that Fahoko absolutely could be a guy that pushes somebody who would normally be secure on the roster off of the roster. And so I, I don't think that that's a bad one to suggest at all. Nope. Um, here's one for you from our, our old pal, Dean Julia. Brian, yeah. is it finally time to move off of CJ Goodwin and have someone take that special team star role? Who are some guys that can take that role and step in and succeed immediately? Look, I think if CJ Goodwin gets pushed off this roster, it's probably because you're trying to protect Kelvin Joseph. Yeah, I don't. I don't see C.J. Goodwin going anywhere, though. Really, I mean, I, I tried to move on from him during uh, training camp last year. You know, he didn't look like the same player. Didn't look like he was covering as well. You know, in the preseason he just didn't look as good. But then the regular season he kind of shows up. So you know, I I think as long as Bones Fossil has that, you know, that whistle around his neck for the special teams, I think C.J. Goodwin is always going to be on this team. You know, it's just it's just a matter of who the others are, uh, you know, competing with them. Are there two younger? Like I say, 
Do they need to keep Mukwamu? Do they need to keep Joseph? I mean, the one thing that, that Kelvin Joseph has proved he can do is play special teams. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if it, you know, if they if they feel like that that they could do without Goodwin, I I I don't see it. But if they feel that way, those are the kind of guys I think would would be the guys to to step up and take the role. Last one for you here from uh, Kobe and kind of ties into the tight end discussion we've had today. Your best bet, who is tight end one week one? Tight end one week one. I think it's probably going to be Ferguson. And then I think then to me, I I mean, I want to throw, I think, I think that Schoonmaker is going to play a big role here, but I think they're going to have to kind of figure out what that role is going to be. You know, the 12 personnel stuff, the blocker, all that. I think they drafted him for a purpose. I, I want to sit there and be real cavalier and say it's going to be him. I don't think he's initially going to start, but I'm going to think that they're going to figure out by the third or fourth week that he it can really, really help them in the running game and he's better. He might even show this, though, in a training camp. You know, he might even show in the preseason games. He could block. He could catch. He's a, he's a not-come-off-the-field guy. But I think it's going to be Ferguson, and then we'll see what they do with Schoonmaker and Hendershot as the as the uh, as the preseason rolls on, and then as we get into the regular season. I think for obviously they, they're going to play the two tight ends a lot, but I think they use a lot of twelve personnel. What I've seen, these they, they do so far. They do, yeah. and so I, I think that I think you're right. It's probably Ferguson to open the season, but I think yeah. by the middle of the year it's probably going to be Schoonmaker, just because I think that he's. He's going to force his There's... way super productive. And I will say this. I'll throw this in there. And I, I know I've mentioned this before. And I don't know if you've taken notice of this, Brian, throughout these practices. There's – Dak Prescott has had long, extended communication with two guys during these practices that I've seen consistently. It's Brandon Cooks and it's Jake Ferguson. Jake yeah. Ferguson and Dak Prescott are talking all the time. Now, is that a, a sign that they're not on the same page and they need to communicate a lot? Or does that just speak to – Ferguson's really eager and he or, or that Dak is taking an interest in trying to connect with him. I, I think that it's it's just interesting to see Cooks is clearly going to be a new starter. And with Dalton Schultz leaving, Ferguson has a chance to be a new starter. So it's just made me go, OK, is Dak trying to connect with two guys that he thinks are going to be new in the starting lineup? Yeah, I think to me that it Dak always communicated with Dalton Schultz, too. There were a lot of times where Dak and Dalton Schultz were always talking to each other. So maybe that's the new thing that, that Dak knows he's going to have to have one of these tight ends step up and make plays. I, I think you were out there at practice. Uh, you may have been watching the JV squad, though, when this happened. This was last week at OTAs. Was Dak was on a rollout, and he was looking for Ferguson, and he had to throw the ball to, uh, I think it was Simi Fajoko. And as soon as he throws the ball and releases and the play ends, Brian, he turns back around and looks at Ferguson – and he starts just going like this. Yeah, and he's showing him like you yeah, need- yeah. Try you got to get you got to go outside. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. He, he's yeah. like you. And so Dak was was coaching him up like, dude, I was looking for you. This is what you need to be doing. So a lot of communication there. Uh, but that's what June is for. It's for ironing out some of these things, and then Absolutely. that's what it will be for. And we will be here for all of it. Uh, talking about all of it with you. We got one more uh, mini camp practice to go. Brian, will will you be there? Or are we gonna I be, will be there. Yeah, I'll be there. We'll be, we'll be back in attendance tomorrow. Uh, hopefully have another show for you this week. And then it is uh, the lull period until we get to training camp. And uh, Brian and I will be out in Oxnard once again this year. We'll be bringing you stuff 
uh, from the hotel room or maybe the the tennis courts. Who knows? Uh, you know, we'll we'll figure out a way to make it happen. But uh, either way, we're excited to bring that coverage to you. For Brian Broadus, I'm Bobby Belt. We will talk to you guys next time.